We're continuing where we left off. It is again, it's 11-1-2020. We're continuing with the thought of the week and prayer. So um, I'll turn it over to Dave. Okay, thought of the week. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. All I can say about this verse is wow, we have so much. In this phrase, which can be easily read, but not fully understood, this first speaks of the salvation we have, and also what we are saved to. We have turned the corner now, and are going to begin the process of understanding what God has accomplished for us in grace. I love this verse, personally. Because I found myself here one day. The words jumped off the page into my heart. And I began to relax in God's gracious arms. Religious focus on is on what they can do for God. With all that attention focused on self, they could not see what God they could not see God's heart. That misplaced focus is missing the greatest feat ever, what God has done for us. That's why his gift in salvation is minimized in the minds of many. They have not properly appreciated the mighty work accomplished on their behalf. The writer of Hebrews asked a question. How should we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Take it from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. Many have done just what, many have judged that by not seeing what God has actually done in grace. They, they ignored it not by not standing on the reality of work of God. As a result, they do not make decisions based on reality of God. They, under, they underestimate their lost state. It is worse that they think it is the wonder they marginalize God's solution. Take it by the thought of the week for today. Well, we know just reading this scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, if you don't know, it's based upon what? You are saved. We are we are saved by grace, and it's not from ourselves, so so we don't boast. But God has accomplished us a great salvation for us. Now, the work that had a, He gave us accomplished us to do. That He wants to do good. He wants to do good works. But the the main focus that we should understand is on what God has done for us throughout eternity. And he brought many sons to glory by giving us this, that this great salvation is based upon what Christ did on, on the cross. So even when we were dead, if we, we weren't even, we weren't even here yet. God had us in mind for this very reason, for this very purpose. So this is what I get out of the thought of the week. If you get a chance to go back and evaluate the um, verse. 
in Ephesians chapter 2, verse verse 5, so you understand what this sort of week is referring to. So we are saved, even when we're dead in transgression, God has saved us. What an awesome God we serve, that he took the time and emphasis to let us know what are we, be, what he wanted to accomplish this. So at this time, we have our service, we have our Dwight Gibbons service, focus in prayer. Thank you very much, Steve. Um, I'm going to pray on behalf of the church, uh, locally and worldwide, of course, our families. Um, are there any special requests that you would like to make known to God at this time? Uh, just to keep oh, Corinne. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. Corinne. Corinne, yeah. But go ahead. I will... Put me up. Yes, no. Yeah, I'm just gonna say pray for my family and uh, pray for this uh, this election that it goes off uh, safe, safely. Mm. Was was there anything else? It's all for me. Okay. All right. Let me uh, offer a prayer for us. On this bow our heads, dear Father in heaven, thank you for revealing every single detail of who you are and what your plan is and letting it letting us know through the holy spirit that you have freely given us um, the capacity and the ability to understand all these things and that way we can really know you and love you and be motivated purely by love in our actions to uh, participate in your plan we pray on behalf of the Word of Truth Church and all of those that are on this call and uh, anybody associated with the church or has been in touch with the church at any time whatsoever. May they all be drawn to the truth that is in your word, the power that is in your word, which is alive and powerful in our hearts. And I pray that our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, will be open to see the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. Let it make it known to us and let it, let it be something we carry throughout our day and let the knowledge of the power that is in Christ. And I pray also for the church worldwide. Um, that worldwide, all over the world, there are people that are following you even just this morning. Um, I discovered another group of people that look like they are seriously on, this, on that path that you have made available. And... Um, I want to pray for our, our health and well-being of everybody, our families, immediate families, and uh, extended families, um, especially for Corinne um, with, the, uh, with the situation at, at, in, in her life. Uh, we know that you know the details of this, and we ask you that you would um, keep her safe and, and restore her health. And uh, also I pray that um, the election coming up um, looks like something that is loaded with um, opposition for and, and potentially create a lot of division. Um, let it, uh, you know, I, I pray that um, the result of the election would, would not divide us further, but would bring us together and unite us in uh, what we want to accomplish in the world so that out so that we are able to um, maintain our focus on your word 
Um, and we pray for peace throughout the world, same way. And also the uh, uh, looking for solutions for the coronavirus that that, uh, that would be that would cease to be a pandemic throughout the world. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks for offering that prayer. Amen. Thanks thank for. You, yeah, thank you for the thought of the week as well. We are going to continue where we left off in John chapter 15. We're right at verse 7. I'll go ahead and read it. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Uh, you should all have notes. And in your notes, the Father's goal is that we bear fruit. As the text goes, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. That's John fifteen eight. Why is it to the Father's glory? Because it's His plan. If you are not sure of what, the, of what is the Father's plan, then you will likely not be able to bear fruit. As we come to know the plan, we can see the wisdom and beauty of God's desires. We not only come to agree with the Father, but we also come to love the plan for ourselves. Our love is the commitment we need for us to be obedient toward its completion. We should begin to see that we are working in concert with the Father. Our contribution to his plan is important, and we begin to see ourselves as God saw us from eternity past. Quote, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. That's John 15 and 16. So here we are going to begin to look at this, this phrase before us, and we've broken it up into two phrases. We'll start with the first one. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Very similar to the other passages we read earlier. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. What does that mean? It means his words. So let's look at the first thought would be remaining in Christ. It depends on his word remaining in us. So that's, that's important for us to know. It's not just related to some thought or could be abstract thought about what we think abiding in him is or remaining in him. It, it is very specific. So, so let's say it again. Remaining in Christ depends on his word remaining in us. Just, uh, just like loving Christ is keeping or guarding his commands. Right? If you love him, you will keep or guard my commands, is what Christ said. John 14, 15. And if we look at John 23 and 24, I think it's borne out in those verses as well. You know 14, 15, we already sort of quoted that. But, so John 14, 23, and 24 are important. 
I would say for this. So it says in verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Well, this is very clear. It's like obvious. These words and this part of it, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. In our analogy, it's the gardener, right? The Father is the one who planted the vineyard. So what kind of fruit the Father's looking for, obviously, would be what he planted. And the planted is re related to his planning right, from eternity past, or to plan. So it's important that we see that. It's important how there's a reciprocal relationship between us abiding, remaining in Christ, meaning we love his word, and the other part is Christ remaining in us, or his words remaining in us. So it's we already know that when we believe in Christ, we are baptized into the body of Christ. And... Uh, and we, we have that reciprocal relationship positionally, even though we may not understand it experientially. We grow into it to understand what it means for Christ to be in us and us to be in Christ. So when I think about what it meant for Christ and the Father, well, Christ said, believe me when I tell you that the Father is in me, or else believe for the evidence of the works themselves. Right? So... The Father was in Christ, and Christ was in the Father. That was the relationship that was important, that he conveyed to us, because it is going to be the same relationship that we have later once uh, the Spirit of Truth comes. Well, what in, when is that? Pentecost. So just as a recap, to understand all that, we talked about mutual possession. So what is mutual possession mean exactly? It means that if the Father was in Christ, that means the, the Father has full access to Christ. It's not just in him positionally, but what Jesus was saying was not only is the Father in me, but he is doing the work. He is speaking the words. He, he's the one coming up with the wisdom. What I'm, the words I'm telling you are from him. So Christ was willing to give access to his life on earth to the Father. And in the, in the same way, when it says, I am in the Father, Christ says to the Father, I'm in you, meaning you are giving access to me uh, for everything you're about. Well, what is the Father about? Well, the Father has this plan, and, and this is from eternity past, before he created all things, and what his goals were, what he wanted to do. So Christ now has access to all of that. When Christ says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. Well, what, what is all that belongs to the Father? Everything that the Father has put in Christ's auspices belongs to him. So Christ is able to fully access everything that the Father has. That's why Christ says in John 16, all that belongs to the Father is mine. 
And then when we see the other side of it, we see that the Father is able to fully possess Christ, his life, and manifest in every area and aspect of his life, even when it comes down to his will. Christ said, this is not my will to, to, to do my own will, but my will is to do the will of him who sent me. So that's what it means for the Father to fully possess him. Uh, or, as we go back to this whole mutual possession thing, it's deeper and deeper as we look at it. Fully accessed. Well, we've been saying that, especially when it comes to bearing fruit, because you know he who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will keep it. Because the life that we now have is Christ. For me to live, Paul said, is Christ. And that's where we want to begin to see the mutual possession operational in us. It's important that we see it that way. So not only that, we have to see that the Father is, is uh, through Christ, is asking us or bearing on our will to conform to the, his plan, right? To, so that we can come away fully possessed by Christ, who has all that the Father has, so that Christ lives in us. And we said that was the Christian way of life, and that's in verse 19. Before long, this is we're still in John 14, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And here's those last words, because I live, you also will live. And that, that is, is the Christian life. It's the Christ way of life. Is Because Christ is alive and in us, then that also animates us. That's what animates us. His life, not our life. What's his life? His life is the resurrection life. Right? We went through this death, burial, and resurrection so that um, like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should live the new life. This resurrection life is ours to live on earth. Well, it's Christ to live through us. Remember, through us. Just like we've been dealing with this analogy, we're, he's the vine and we are the branches. <clears throat> so the, the fruit is produced, not by us, but through us. That's the word. We can't produce fruit. If somebody told us to bear fruit, we couldn't do it. We would need to be connected to the vine so that we could bear fruit. Now, we're going to bear something if we don't, but it won't be useful to the Father, as we saw last week. So next, let's move on in our notes. We'll, we'll, we'll digress too much. So Christ introduced the Father's plan, or spoken of as words or commands or teaching. Christ introduced it, but it was really the Father. Uh, he introduced it to the disciples. And that's John 16, 12 through 15. What Christ said as well, I have much more to tell you. More than you can now bear. But you know, Christ was on the cusp of a dispensational change. 
when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it changed everything. We weren't under the law. We, uh, you know, we have the Spirit now who has done all these things to separate us unto God in a very special relationship for a very special purpose. And this, this is why I say it changed everything about who we are. So uh, when we think about the Father's plan, it was, in, it, it was introduced to us through Christ, we could say. And Christ is the focal point of it. But it's, he says everything that the Father has, was, has been given to me. So now it's Christ. It belongs to Christ. But we know it came from the Father. But now, as far as we're concerned... It is Christ. Now, our analogy talks about the Father through Christ and through us. And then we see fruit. So we, we have to be cognizant of all of the steps there. So here's an interesting thought. John chapter 17, 6 through 9. We already know the one in 16, the reference in 16, which talks about, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He, you know, and so on. You know that. Well, let's move on to John 17, 6 through 9. John 17, 6 through 9. So 6 says, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. So this is Christ praying to the Father. But this is what he says. He says, he's speaking to the Father as though the Father orchestrated everything. And he did. He did. I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And and they have obeyed your word. Let's continue. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Now they know, listen to the word here. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. You have given me. Well, that's an understanding that Christ and the Father have already. Christ knows that whatever he has, the Father gave him. But guess what this verse is revealing? Now they know. That, would, that everything you have given me comes from you. Now they know you, Father. They understand that everything I have, I'm here to fulfill the Father's plan, just like they are going to be here to fulfill the Father's plan. It comes from you. Verse 8. For I gave them the words you gave me. Right, The words you gave me. Jesus articulated the plan that the Father gave him as much as he could, to, to the point where he says, I, I got much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, this is what he'll do. He'll tell you the full of it. And he will guide you into all truth. That's the ministry of the Spirit in the new age that we're in now. So he says, I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. Which means they believed. Right? They said, okay, uh, we got it. We accept that the Father, right? They we, says they, they know 
that everything you have given me comes from you. They accept the words that come from you through me, Father. And they knew with certainty that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. You know how important that is? That goes all the way back to where we talked about when Jesus washed the, the disciples' feet. And he says, well, what I'm doing for you now, you don't fully understand. But that last phrase, and I'm going to turn to it because it's so important, is important for us to see. This is uh, John chapter 13. And hold your finger on John 17. We'll get back to it. But John 13, <clears throat> when Jesus says, you, you, don't, you don't understand what, what I have done for you, verse 12. Uh, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And he talks about no servant is greater than his master, nor is the, listen to this, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. That's, that's important. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not, and then he talks about, uh, I am not referring to all of you. I know, and he's talking about Judas. I'm telling you now before it happens, right? So you know, you will believe that I am who I am. And then verse 20, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. Whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So there it is. There is that understanding. So we are now seeing through Jesus that we should be respecting the Father and the Father's plan. He's like, look, it's not just important that you hear what I say, but you have to believe in the one who sent me. Right? If you accept me, then you accept the one who sent me. Isn't that the same thing he's saying here in John 17, verses 6 through 9? I have revealed those to whom you have given me out of the world, and they were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed whose word? Your word. Your word. And then, 17.7, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. 8, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and... They believe that you sent me. Verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Wow. And it continues on. And when we get to John 17, we will go through these things in contextual detail. But it's a lot to reveal as we go through these passages. So it's some important things, I say in this. So let's continue in our notes. Hopefully you got that point. See how can this is how can his words remain in us? Some mechanics here. How can his words remain in us? Uh, one, we must hear and understand the words. And then how does that happen? It happens through the spirit of truth, right? We're we're not going to understand these things on our own. The Spirit, he's really referring to the time when the Spirit, Christ really introduced these things to the disciples. And they did not even have 
the baptism, the filling, the sealing, the indwelling, all that. They didn't have it at the point when Christ revealed all these things to them. But the Spirit was there trying to help them understand and believe what Christ said. Right? He is now, he will be in you, but he is also with you now. He is with you now, and he will be in you, John 14, 15 and 16, he says. says around there, he says that. He will, he's with you now, but he will be in you. Talking about Pentecost. So the introduction of the mystery to these disciples who were to be the foundation of the church is what Christ revealed. This, these are the words that he revealed. So we got to hear him. The disciples had to hear him. And, you know, they had to wait on the spirit of truth. We have the spirit of truth. So we should be able to not only hear the words through the ministry of the spirit, enlightening us and understand what the words are, right? That this is the Father's plan. And then believe the words. Just like Jesus said in John 14, 1. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's important that you do that, right? You've got to trust in the words. And I'm telling you, why, why would he say those things? Because these are words that I have not seen as we're getting ready to go to point two. That's point two. Believing what? What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. We have to admit it is not easy for the disciples to have believed such things. He's talking to Jews who had a traditional understanding of Judaism. And now Jesus is whipping something on them that they had never seen, never heard, and never even imagined. But these men who were with Christ all those years saw the miracles, signs, and wonders, saw the wisdom in his teaching, were able to believe. Jesus said at John 17, Now I know they believed. I know it. They have, and not only have they obe believed, but they obeyed now. It's not saying they were perfect, but they got it. Right? They got the message. And they were expecting something to come. So that's 1 Corinthians 2.9. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. It's out of this world. So we could chide the disciples all we want. But for people to tell us things that were outside of our understanding. And then we have to believe them. Well, the disciples did a good job. I must say. And they became the foundation for the church. And listen, that's, that's a huge, huge responsibility. And the weight of the church is on the doctrines that they lay down. Like Jude says, we must earnestly contend for the faith, the body of truth that was once for all delivered to the saints. So uh, point number three, the words... That we say the words, they're just words, but no, they form a plan. They form an eternal purpose, a definite hope. It's just not just abstract, uh, you know, random. Uh, we can just pull together random scriptures and they be fine. Right? This is not Eastern philosophy thinking where, okay, whatever you believe, well, that's good too. 
Yeah, and I could see how this and that isn't. No, it could, it's a very distinct and definite purpose. It's a hope, the hope of our calling. It's, it's not just any hope. In Ephesians 3, I'll turn to it. Not that you haven't read it before. I bet you can already quote it. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. It says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Notice that. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are some profound words. We have purpose given here. Motive. His intent. So we, we could examine these words and really take time. And, and we will eventually. And we have. We'll, we will some more as more light comes to, to fore. So this is important. Right? It's, these words don't end up into just random thoughts. But they're a definite plan. Disciples got it. Even before they got the baptism of the Spirit. Now, not fully. Jesus said, I got much more to tell you. They just got a small portion of what they needed to just, okay, stay here, stay thirsty, right? Get ready because something big's going to happen. And they and they had to go through the emotional roller coaster that was the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yeah, they They had to go through that. Christ was not just their Lord, but he was their friend, their confidant, their Lord. He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they had to watch him go through all that. So point number four in our outline here. So not only are these, these words form a plan, it's a definite hope, right? But they are precious to us. And how does his words remain in us? Remember, that's what we're discovering by these points. Because, because those words are precious to us. That's why we hold on to them, right? They, we, we guard them. We keep them. They are the hope of our calling. Th those words are everything about who we are in terms of our identity and destiny. That's, that's, they're precious to us. I mean... We, how can we say it when we think of something that's precious? We have to think of it in terms of something valuable right, to us. Something dear. Something treasured. Something priceless. That's how we have to see the hope of our calling. Because it's not just, oh, there's some words about us. No, but it's, these, these are precious words. These, these, these are dear to our heart. They, they are, these words are the hope of our calling. I just want to read a couple of scriptures in that regard. So first one is Matthew. Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Looking at that. 13, 45 and 46 says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
when he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. So for him to sell everything he has, just, you know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of the rich young ruler approaching Christ. And obviously he thought Christ was special for him to come and to ask him the question that he did. You know what Christ told him? He told him to do the very thing that it says here. He says, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then I want you to come and follow me. Now that man went away very sad because he had to make a decision between all that he had, his wealth, and Christ. And you know what decision he made. He, he, he departed from Christ. He walked away from him very sad. He was hoping that he would say, well, you can come follow me, and he could keep all the riches that he had. But no. Standing in front of that man was the pearl of great price. It was not only the pearl of great price, it was priceless what Christ had, who he was. And for him to, all, whatever that man had in earthly terms was not worth comparing with who the person of Christ was. Sell everything. This is what Jesus has given. The kingdom of heaven is like, it's like. Now he's not even talking about the church age. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about what's going to happen when he is ruling things down here. And he's the king. He's the one that changes everything. So, so everything he has. You know what? For you to do that, you'd have to be, it, it will not just be a partial commitment, a full commitment. Because the only reason you would do that is if you understood the value of who Christ is. Paul said it in another way. He talked about his Jewish upbringing from the tribe of Benjamin, prestigious. As far as the law, he was a Pharisee. He wasn't just a Pharisee, but he says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Blameless. That's how he saw himself. But then he says, you know, I count it all as dung <laughs> to be, to have. I think I should read it because I'm going to mess it up. Right? Why not just let Paul tell it? It's in Philippians chapter uh, 3, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so he says, um, verse for though I myself have such have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Well, you can't get any better than that, as for zeal. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But this is what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. People would die to have that resume. 
Paul says, now I consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing, surpassing worth. Notice, worth is value. And what is the worth that Paul is considering? Of just knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Rubbish, not even of any value that I would be willing. It's refuse. It's something that I would consider throwing away easily that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Yeah, so, and then he goes on, but that is the thought in our notes here by me referring to Matthew 13, 45, and 46. And then there's Ephesians 3, 8. Let's quickly go, go through that. Ephesians 3, 8 says, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles and here's what he has. He's not even worthy because of his resume and what he did before. He wants to preach the boundless riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches of Christ. Can't get to the bottom of riches of Christ. That's what he he is blown away by. That he has the opportunity to do that. He Paul, the one who did all those things we were just talking about. So that's a, that's a thought. And then if you think about it, and then you got Colossians 2, 1 through 4. Colossians 2, which we have covered. and But we're seeing it in different lights. Right? So Colossians 2, 1 through 4 says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is this. He's working hard for us. To what end? That they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Now we're talking about wealth, right? He's, he told the man, go sell all you have and then you come and follow me. He says, it's like a man who found the pearl. He saw it. So what did he do? He sold all he had. He, he divested himself of all his earthly wealth. And he says, I want that pearl. I want it. Nothing in life is more important than that. Okay, so sell all you have and you come and follow me. This is verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love that they may have full riches, complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you know, the, the wealth of this world will pass away. It will be worth nothing. They, they will throw their gold and silver into the streets, says James. Uh, it's going to come to nothing. It will be destroyed. But this wealth is eternal. 
what we have been given in Christ. And he's talking, this is every single believer in Christ. Not some, every believer in Christ. And Paul wants us to know what our, the hope of our calling is. That's the importance of it here. And what are these things to the world? They're nothing to the world. World, It's nothing. But this is the wisdom. This is 1 Corinthians 2.7. For us, it is the wisdom that God destined for our glory before time began. It's, no, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. The wealth that is before us cannot even be compared with what is happening here on earth. We're talking about God's eternal purpose. So let's continue on. Time's getting away from us here. Point D, his words will remain in us through the spirit of truth. Well, what do I mean by saying this? I mean... That none of this can be done without God, the Holy Spirit. Right? We can't perform what is being asked of us in these verses unless we depend on the Spirit's guidance uh, and enlightening ministry to help us to, to get to all truth. It, it depends on the Spirit of truth. Right? So, And then I have this... John seventeen seventeen sanctify them by the truth. This is in the context of what we were reading earlier of the prayer. We are sanctify means to set apart for God's holy or special purposes. This is what's happening in the time in which we live right now. God is calling out those many sons in the glory. You are one of those sons. You have been set apart. And how so? By means of the truth. The truth is those words that he's been talking about. The Father's eternal purpose, right? All the, the hope of your calling, right? It's distinct. It's not random. Sanctify them by the truth, by means of the truth, right? And what is truth? Your word is truth. So the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, takes the words off the page and not just any words, but the words that are related to the plan, the Father that is revealed through Jesus. Right? He takes those words off the page and he enlightens our heart. And then as we come to know and understand, just like we read in point one, we hear and understand the words through the spirit of truth and we get to believe, we have a choice to make, to believe those words. And so that Holy Spirit then begins to guide and direct our lives into all truth, more truth. That's what we're set apart unto. That's what's different about us in this world. It's not how we dress, not the food we eat. It's not what day we worship on. It's not uh, any of those factors it has to do with this right here. We are set apart unto God for his holy and special purposes. What are those purposes? Right now, he's calling many sons into glory. You are one of those sons. So it's up to you now to walk those things that are said about you. So point E, are you remaining in him? 
are you? And the question is asked, and I could hear already a resounding yes. I mean, I, I am remaining in him. We already talked about what all that meant and what it means to do that and the love and commitment and devotion that it takes. Now we're seeing the value of why you would do such a thing. It's the pearl of great price. I mean, it's like the riches of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is all the sum total of God's wisdom from, from eternity past that is bound up in Christ and that Paul wants us to know. That's why he's working so hard. Are you remaining in him? You say yes. The question is, are his words remaining in you? Well, what's his words? Just like he says in Ephesians 1, I pray uh, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious riches of his inheritance and the saints. That is his words remaining in you. Not just that particular scripture, but they form a plan. They form God's eternal purpose. Is that in you? Is that remaining in you? That's the question. Only you can answer. Let's move on. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, second phrase, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It will. Let's go, let's go through it. So if you remain, you remain means to stay. So there's consistency here. There's not just, well, I popped in for a minute and I got to go. You know, it's no, remain means it is a consistent uh, per, you persevere in these things, even if there are obstacles, troubles, right? you have learned to persevere through those because uh, you have now developed a character and a hope. Romans 5. So if you remain in me, my words remain, stay, abide in you. Okay, so there's uh, so there's more to it than just remaining in him. What does that mean? Conversely, it means that his words are going to be remaining in you. Right? The, uh, you're not going to forget who you are. You're not going to forget about the identity that you have in Christ, the fact that you are a new creation in him. You are a brand new creation, never before seen. What God? You are one of those sons, like we've been talking about that are being conformed into his image. You, that's who you are. So, and those words remain in you. You continue uh, to have that in you. That is the condition stated here. That is the condition. So I have John 16, 12, and 13. Let's read that. See what I was thinking when I... Put this scripture down. 12 and 13 says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is some of the things he will do. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. So there's the fullness of of that, right? So we have to, in order to get all of that, we have to remain in him. We have to be humble to receive 
all that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us, all the places that the Holy Spirit wants to take us. Because remember, uh, these are things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Listen, you are not rehearsing what was. You are on the cusp of discovering what is new, what it means to be in Christ, who your identity is, right? So if you remain in him, and he remains in you, right? This is the whole, This, these are the words that have, are being revealed to us, right? This is it. Then we could ask whatever we wish. It will be done unto us. So point B, ask whatever you wish. Well, the question is, what do you want? What do you want? What do we want? Our asking is according to the will of the Father, as we remain in Christ, uh, which is our hope and love. Right? This, we have to see this in, in, in a way. It's not just, oh, well, ask whatever you want. What do you want? It's not that. That's not what he's asking. It's according to the Father's will. John 6, 38. Let's look at a couple of verses. John 6 and 38 says... This is what Jesus, this is the example that he gave. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will. Now notice, not to do my will. I have come down from heaven not to do my will. So when we come to the understanding of that, and that we're here, not to do our will. So you, when it says you can ask whatever you want, well, if you ask Christ, what do you want? Christ would have said, "My, I, what I want is to do the will of the Father. That's what I want. And what's the will of the Father? The Father's plan. The Father's eternal purpose. That's what I want to come to fruition. That's ultimately what I want. Doesn't matter what happens in this world to me. I'm here on the battlefield. What I want is for the Father's plan to be fulfilled. Right? So it's just like we've been studying in Romans. Like not only uh, all creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. That's what I want. I, I see what God has made of me as a son. And he says, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. The creation was not subjected to frustration by its own cause, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. In hope that they will be released from its bondage to decay into the freedom and glory of the sons of God. That's Romans 8. It's what we've been studying on Wednesdays. So there's... We know what we want and and we hope for. That's important to us. Ephesians 4.1, we want to be able to walk worthy of the calling to which we have received. That's what we want. How do we do it, right? Any prayer that is uh, consistent with that is certainly the same thing that God the Father wants and Christ wants. And the Holy Spirit wants. And now we want. It, it, it's consistent with that. So what they want is what we want. If, if you're remaining in him and his words are remaining in you, that's, that's what you want. To be able to bear much fruit. 
for that plan. So Philippians 2.9 talks about it from that another standpoint. It is, um, it is God who is at work in us to will. And to will means to want and to do his good pleasure, not your good pleasure. Not what I want, I want millions of dollars so I could live high on the hog. So I could buy all the things that I want in this world that, it, that will make me happy. That's what I want. And when you think about it that way, that's wrong. That is not what this verse is saying. And if that is the case, you are not abiding in Christ. His words are not abiding. You, you don't even know who you are. You don't know what you have. So what do you want? What, what is it that would make you want? It says, like it says in Philippians 2, right? it says, it is God who is at work in you to will, that is to want, and to do his good pleasure. His good pleasure. So point C, what does the Father want? What, if we were to ask that question right now, what's he thinking? If, he's in, if we were to be able to zoom on up to heaven, like on a Zoom call, we're up there, and we said, we saw the Father, if this is all hypothetical, but we saw the Father and we said, Father, what is it that you want right now? Right, so he, he would tell you. He's calling many sons into glory. That's what he's doing. Right? So you say, well, what is he thinking about? Well, that's what he's thinking about right now. Is he thinking about making Israel great right now? Nope. Is he thinking about you obeying the Mosaic law? Nope. He's thinking about bringing many sons into glory. Hebrews 2, 10 and 11. I'll skip over to it. There's other scriptures too, by the way, especially in Romans, but I'm just going to read one. I'll save some for you in your private study to look for. Hebrews 2, 10, 11. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's not. Wow, what a profound scripture. What a profound scripture. Does that put us on the level of Jesus? Who is on the level of Jesus? The one who is beloved by the Father, right? We're in the family. We're not just in the family, but we're on that level of love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit for a particular purpose because they want to bring many sons into glory. We are those sons. That's what he's thinking right now. That's what the Father wants. What do you want is the question. What do you want? That's point D. What do we want? So Romans eight twenty three and 4, we're back to that again. Once you understand what happened, what God is doing. Romans 8, 23 and 24 says it. Not only so. Not I means not only is the creation and has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits. We are the sons. 
we ourselves, we are the very ones, the sons who are all creations waiting for, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. That's why God saved us. You might say, well, why did you get saved? Why, why did you? Somebody might say, well, I believed in Christ. That's why I was saved. Uh, why am I saved? Because I chose to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. But here, in verse 24, he says, in this hope, we were saved. Well, this is what you, you might say, well, I'm saved because I put my faith in Christ. He's the Savior and all that. From God's perspective, he saved you for this particular purpose. That's what he saved you for. That's from his, how he thinks about things. What does the Father want is what we were questioning. What do we, what do we want as a result of that? We want that very thing in verse 24. We, we, we want to see eye to eye with the Father. He who hopes, he, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? We don't already have it. There's more to come. That's why we have it as a hope. An absolute confidence that we will get what God has promised. Philippians 1.6 He that has begun a good work in us will continue it on until that day. Today when it's complete. And then 2 Corinthians 5 2 Corinthians 5 4 and 5 we went through 2 Corinthians, and these verses were, they stood out to me. 5, 4, and 5. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Well, why, why are we groaning? It's the same thing we were groaning and longing for in the previous verse. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Right? We're waiting for God to fully give us what he promised so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, the new life that is ours. Now, verse 5, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. We know that. That's why we can hope and yearn for it, long for it, have the confident expectation that this will be who we are in the future. This is our identity. We are this. God is the one who made us this way. He has fashioned it. He, he, he has planned this for us for this very purpose. This is literally what he's done for us. Point E, let's move forward. Our hope determines what we would possibly ask. Hope determines that. If you have a hope to be rich, right, your hope is to get wealth in this world and to be on top of the world, to gain the whole world. That's your hope. Then what you want will be affected by that hope. What profit is it to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? So 1 John, there's a couple of scriptures here. 1 John chapter 3, let's read it, verses 1 through 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called 
children of God. I mean, that's the love is the Father's motive in blessing us profusely by choosing us to be in His Son before the creation of the world. That's love. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Literally, John says, yeah, we know it. The reason the world does not know us, remember, is eyes not seen, ears not heard, and neither has it entered the heart of man. They didn't know him. They didn't know Christ. They can't know us. Dear friends, now are we the children of God. Not later, even though we don't have everything yet. But now, <laughs> we are already. We can't say, well, when we get our resurrection bodies, then we'll be sons. We'll be the children of God. That's not it at all. We know we absolutely are going to get everything that goes along with our identity. We, we know for sure. This is not like, well, I hope, I hope we get there. I hope this happens. I hope that. No, we already know this is it. We know that now, not even later, now we are children of God. And what we will, will be has not yet been made known, meaning to the world. They, it's still hidden to them. We, our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. They don't know. They can't see us. They, we just look like everybody else. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And when it says we shall be like him, because his life is our life, right? This, where the whole world is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. It's verse 3 that I quoted all that to get to. Verse 3, all who have this hope in him, all who have this hope in him, what will happen? Purify themselves just as he is pure. That's, if you have that hope in you, you are abiding in Christ. And that is, that creates a purity in us. A purity, not we're not talking about our walk, but a purity in terms of our motive. It is our intention to abide in Christ. And it doesn't say we're perfect if we do, but if we do, God can use us to bear fruit according to his eternal purpose. Like it is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms through the church. Right? So if we abide in him, that can come to fruition. That is through us. Right? That we can bear much fruit. So our hope determines what we can possibly want. Right? This is what we, we would ask for, are things that correspond to what our hope is what we know our hope to be. If we want riches, well, we're going to do things that seek after wealth. We're going to ask God for money and for things that... But if we want the Father's eternal purpose, just like Christ says, I did not come from heaven to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's, that's what we saw in John 6. So, point... Um, F, we're going to move forward. I know it's almost time to quit. How we ask is important. Now, this is, it, it is key, right? We have to make sure James 
There's a couple of verses and we'll go over both of them. James 4 and 3. James 4. What do you have to tell us, James? 4.3 says, When you ask, you do not receive. Now, here, get this. The verse we saw earlier said, Ask, and whatever you ask will be given to you. Well, there are conditions to asking, right? We already went over what all of that is. I don't want you just willy-nilly asking for whatever you think you want. Well, James is clarifying it. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. There it is. Wrong motives. That's pretty clear to me. And what is it that you want? That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That is not this is about you. That's like it is God who is at work in us to do, to will and to do his good pleasure. What his good pleasure is, what his will is, not yours. That, that's important. And then 1 John um, 5, 14 and 15. 1 John, back to 1 John 5 this time. 14 and 15. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. It's that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, we simply put, I mean, we, we read the whole thing in John 15, verse 7, right? So ask whatever you want. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want, it will, you, he will get it. But here we are seeing that abiding in him is according to his will. His words remaining in you is according to your understanding of his will and who you are. So it's important. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Well, if you don't have this, if you're not asking according to his will, you don't have confidence. But he's saying this is the confidence we have. And what, what, what is that? That we ask anything according to his will? He hears us. Right? It's, and, and verse 15 just confirms. And if we know that he hears us, right? it's a logical conclusion. Whatever we ask, doesn't matter what it is. Because it's his will. He wants it more than we do. We know that we have what we asked of him. We know it. So this verse is not, uh, you know, standing alone as some, you know, island of hope that we can get what we want. Like God is some slot machine. We put in our request and we pull out what we get. We get what, what we want. This is all about what God has called us to. And what he's called us to is of greatest value for us. And point G, the Holy Spirit prays for us. And we know we've been studying that in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, how the Holy Spirit, we don't know what we ought to pray for in our weaknesses, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with wordless groans. He's interceding to the Father on our behalf. So my point here is that uh, Holy Spirit praying for us. We, we pray, and if we're praying according to his will, then he hears us. We, we know he's going to answer us, and we will get what we ask for, because it's according to his will. Of course he wants to uh, answer prayers that are according to his will. Of course he does. He wants it more than we do. 
So we are just coming into the understanding of what it is and who we are and what the plan is and the fact that we're on the battlefield. So we know that the Holy Spirit, who, who when we don't know, when we can't see what, what dangers are out there, what we need from God while we're on the battlefield, the Holy Spirit does. And when he asks God, well, we know his prayers are answered because he is asking according to his will. The Holy Spirit will never ask for us things that are not according to the will of the Father. He will not. So we can know that if that's the truth, Holy Spirit, is, his job is to lead us into all truth. He will ask things of, uh, of God. He will petition God. He will intercede on our behalf. And we know whatever petitions and requests he has before God, they will be answered. That's care. So we can know that God has our best interest at heart. We're going to have to quit. We're going to continue next week with the next verse, hopefully. There's much more that could be said about these verses. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We are so privileged to be in the positions we are in. And we know we're not here because of us and our doing. It is your sovereign grace that has chosen us in him before the creation of the world. Thank you. Thank you. And we pray that we will be worthy of the calling in which we have received. All of this we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, and to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore, let the church say, Amen. Amen. Amen.